How many times have you heard a Christian acquaintance say, the Lord led me to do this, or the Lord told me to do this, whatever it was, that obviously the path they were about to take was what the Lord wanted for their life. Um, A long time ago, a a friend of mine was talking about an acquaintance who had told him that the Lord had told him to buy this certain house. And it irritated my friend. And eventually that house was lost to foreclosure because the man could not afford it. And though my friend was gentle enough not to say it to the man's face, he said to me, I wonder if the Lord also told him he was going to lose this house to foreclosure, if that was the Lord's leading. Now, apart from the fact that the Lord may have wanted that person to in fact lose his ho- that house for whatever reason, because I don't know the circumstances and I don't know what the Lord was teaching with that, but for whatever reason... I think Christians tend to say, uh, the Lord told me to confirm what that person wanted to do in the first place. Okay? Because how often, how often do we hear somebody say, the Lord steered me away from that. The Lord told me not to do this thing that I desired to do. Because we do not hear that all that often, I don't think. And yet, that's what is going to be going on in Acts as we look at today. In a situation that is morally neutral, such as buying a house, upon praying about the decision, do Christians actually seek God's will? Are we looking for the answer no, or do we follow really our own desires? I think rather we only see God's no answers in retrospect. Down the line. Look back and say, wow, God kept me from doing this. In my own life, you know, I had been an elder at another church up here for a number of years. And when a pastor quit, I assumed the role of a teaching elder for nearly six years. Uh, until the church was in a position to call another pastor. Now, I really desired that call. I really did. I had been doing the job. Uh, A truism of Christian life is you do the job before you're given the title, okay? Basically, if if you are desiring to be a deacon, you do the job of a deacon, without the title and eventually you're looked at and you're given that position but um, I really desired it and the Lord calls his own pastors and whom the Lord calls no man can block and I received a resounding no from, from the Lord about pastoring that church And looking back on that rejection from the vantage point of 20 plus years on, did the Lord say no to my desires? And the answer is yes, but why did the Lord say no to my desires? And looking back on it, there are two things that stick out to me. One was that 
I being the pastor of the church would do harm to the church. The other equally valid in my idea is that if I were pastor of that church, the church would do harm to me. Now, neither one of those might be correct because God does things that we don't understand for reasons we don't understand for the sake of his kingdom. Does it matter which of those scenarios was why the Lord said no? No, it doesn't. As the point of a recent sermon quoted, all things work together to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The reason why God said no doesn't matter. Neither does the way in which he said it. Uh, Because often we don't like the way God gives us answers. The reason God said no doesn't matter and in many cases it's unknowable. But to be satisfied and trust in his answer is a key to both Christian happiness and Christian service. You would think that um, that would be a position the Apostle Paul would never find himself in. Okay? After all, he had been chosen by God to be the instrument by which the Gentile nations would be called to called to repentance and conversion. And not only had he been chosen by God, but God told him he'd been chosen for that purpose, right? God instructed him. He had been personally been instructed by Jesus uh, on the things of God. Surely, if anyone knew God's will as it applied to his life, you would think it would be Paul, but we would all be wrong. Our passage for today is Acts 16, 6 through 10. This reads, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, They went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, you might think this passage doesn't really have a lot to say, you know, uh, it doesn't really go a lot of places, and that may be so. But then there's this. Paul did not undertake the missionary journey on a whim. Okay? When he left, he talked to Barnabas, and they planned it out, and they had a disagreement. Barnabas took John Mark with him. Paul took Silas. He planned this vision out. He was commissioned and ordained by God to take the kingdom of Christ to the Gentiles. You can be sure he didn't leave without one serious prayer. Uh, Both his and Silas's prayers and of the church in Syrian Antioch, you can be certain that this was a well-prayed-for adventure. 
Paul was not ignorant of the logistics of the trip. Uh, He was going back to an area he was familiar with. He knew how long it was. He knew what the region was like. He knew what the possibilities for support were there. He was not ignorant of the resistance he might face. Truly, all through Paul's ministry so far, he has faced resistance up to the point of being killed. Fierce animosity whenever he preached the word of God. And with his lawyer's mind, you would think he prepared as best he could for all contingencies. But what he could not prepare for was exactly how the Holy Spirit would lead him. Verse 6 says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. So far, so good, but we're only like eight words into this uh, passage. We saw last week that they went overland from Syrian Antioch, crossed a mountain range to Tarsus, Paul's hometown, and over more mountains to Derb, where Paul's first missionary trip had ended. From there, they went to Lystra, where Timothy joined Paul and Silas. And then they continued through the cities of southern Galatia and Phrygia. From there, Paul wanted to continue west to what Luke refers to as Asia in verse 6b. So it says, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, why would the Holy Spirit forbid the missionaries to go to Asia? We get it very clear what Paul says here, or Luke says here, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Uh, was there something inherently wrong? Evil, perhaps? Um, was Asia a hotbed of pagan activity? Well, the whole area was a hotbed of pagan activity. So, of course, it was, and that's why they were going there. Would, would this have derailed their efforts? Well, here's a list of the cities in Asia that they were not allowed to visit. These are the cities, the leading cities. So keep in mind when I say this. Ephesus. They weren't allowed to go to Ephesus. Smyrna. Hmm. Philadelphia. Laodicea. Colossae. Sardis. Thyatira. And, did I say Colossae? Hmm. Well, this reads like a greatest hits collection of the churches mentioned in Revelation 2. To the church at Ephesus, right. To the church at Smyrna, right. To the church at Philadelphia, right. To the church at Laodicea, I spit you out of my mouth. Which is my favorite, you know, because you're neither hot nor warm. All of these churches will be evangelized. They'll all be leading churches of the early church movement. Colossi, by the way, is the only church, the only church in a major 
church in Asia that's not mentioned in uh, Revelation, but the epistle to the um, Colossians, of course, was written to them, so we very well know about their, their existence through Scripture. My point is that all of these cities will eventually be thoroughly evangelized by Paul and indeed play large roles in the early church. So why was Paul not allowed to go to Asia? Why did the Holy Spirit keep him from that ministry? Scripture does not give us a clue to this mystery. But Paul recognizes the guidance of the Holy Spirit and adjusts his itinerary accordingly. With God stopping the missionary work to the west, Paul, Silas, and Timothy look to the north. Verse 7 says, And when they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Okay, they're not allowed to go into Asia. Now remember, they've got this, this trip that they planned. They've been in prayer. They're not allowed to go to Asia. Now they're not allowed to go to Bithynia. By, as it says, the Spirit of Jesus, which is, I believe, the only time that that phrase is used in the New Testament. The Spirit of Jesus. Bithynia was a highly civilized province uh, in northwest Asia Minor. uh, Bithynia had both the very important Greek cities of Nicomedia and Nicaea. And we know Nicaea from any number of things in early church history. And they had Jewish colonies there, which... um, could be used by the missionaries as a stepping stone in their evangelism. So it was a perfect area to go to, Nicaea and Nicomedia. But their journey is once again blocked, this time, as I say, by the Spirit of Jesus. F.F. Bruce, in his commentary, wondered about the change in terms from first, the Holy Spirit blocking them, in verse 6, and now in verse 7, The spirit of Jesus blocking them. And of course, once again, we're not told what that difference is. But F.F. Bruce wonders that if the same spirit was intended, why is there a change in the phraseology here? Was the method used to convey the spirit's will on those occasions different was a second warning in a form more associated with the person of Jesus. Did Jesus warn Paul personally? So many questions, so few answers. We do not know. But we do know that instead of repeating the term, Luke very definitely changes from the, uh, the Holy Spirit block them to the spirit of Jesus block them. Verse 8 says, So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. Now, though it is, you're all going to yell at me for this, though it says they bypassed Mycenae, this is a case of the author Luke using an incorrect word. So you can yell at me that uh, that scripture is not correct here, but scripture is correct. It's Luke that's not correct. He used the word um, 
perilfontes, they bypassed. Instead of dialfontes, they passed through. Because they had to pass through Mycia from where they were to get to Troas. Not a big thing, but a just interesting. There was only one way to get to Troas, and that road went through Mycia. Now, Troas was an important Greek port city. Uh, it could have been possibly the most important port city in the world. Uh, it was located at the, of the, at the mouth of the Dardanelles. The Dardanelles is a, a 38 long mile straight between the Aegean Sea and some sea I didn't write down that leads to the Black Sea. So it's a passageway between the east and the west and the only port city between the east and the west. It was the main port linking the continent of Europe with the continent of Asia. Arriving in that city, the entire known world was within their reach, whether it was uh, east to the Black Sea areas, to the west uh, of Greece, Rome, to the south to Egypt and Africa, or to no- uh, going north into... Um, I didn't write it down. Oh, well, into the Russian-type areas, the uh, Bulgarias and things like that, was to the north. Arriving in Troas, they could go anywhere in the world they wanted to go. But, with God closing to them Bithynia in Asia, where would the Lord's outreach send them next? Verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And there in Troas, seaport to the rest of the world, Paul is given this vision. A man asking for help. And the word, the phrase that's used of help here is a phrase that means in the ancient world, Come and save our lives. It is a plea for salvation. And Paul recognizes it as such. Come over to Macedonia to Paul's waiting ears was all the invitation he needed to begin the evangelization of Europe. Finally, verse 10 reads, And when Paul had seen the vision, Immediately, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, for those of you who have been uh, asked by a Jehovah's Witness to show them the Trinity in the Bible, have you ever been done that? I have been. Uh, They will say the Trinity does not show up in the Bible. I've never heard this passage used. And yet, if you look at it, verse 6 says, The Holy Spirit forbid Paul and Silas to speak the word in Asia. And verse 7 says, The Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go into Bithynia. And finally, here in verse 10, Paul sees that God has called them to preach the word in Macedonia. So we have the Trinity in reverse order. We We usually say the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, we have the Son, 
And we have the Father in, four, in five verses here in a row. Notice also that Luke writes in verse 10, immediately we thought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Luke has thus joined the missionary team in Troas. This leads scholars to suspect that Paul and team could not go into Asia or Bithynia for a very specific reason. If you'll remember uh, when we were talking about the first missionary journey and when they left Cyprus and sailed to Perga, they did not preach in Perga, the largest city of the area. And I told you at that time that scholars suspected that Paul was sick with malaria and had to get out of the low-lying seaport and into the mountains of uh, city in Antioch to alleviate the symptoms of his illness. Well, just as in that, scholars suspect that the reason they couldn't go into Asia to preach the word in Asia and the reason they couldn't go into Bithynia was that Paul was sick once again. And they headed to the major metropolitan seaport of Troas to find a doctor, and listen to that language, to find a doctor to heal him. Okay? Now, when we talk about the Lord leading somebody, guiding their ways, allowing them to go and do one thing or another, it is suspected that he was blocked from going into both Asia and into Bithynia because he was sick. And he had to see a doctor. And the doctor he found was Dr. Luke, who would then join him in his missionary journeys for both spiritual and medical reasons. And would thus become Paul's biographer the rest, for the rest of Paul's life. Not only Paul's biographer, but his trusted friend, his trusted companion. And this is where God was leading in his denial, in his blocking the path of where Paul wanted to go. It led him to Troas and Luke. We do know that... uh, Paul has frequently had in scripture fragile health. We know that at the end in his letters he says, see I sign my name in large letters because that's as well as he could see. I I don't know about you but if I don't have these on and I'm writing here, my writing starts getting bigger and bigger so I can read it as I'm writing it down on my page. Uh, I am nowhere near as bad as Paul. I would have gone to a and had my eyes looked at before then. But Paul, we know, was sick. We also know that Paul's ministry was, was hampered at times by what he called a thorn in his flesh. He was given a thorn in his flesh, and it was, he said to, because he had seen things so incre- exceedingly great, that it was to ground him. It was to keep him from being big-headed, from uh, being conceited. It was to show him that he was merely mortal. So we know he was sick. 
He had bad eyesight. And yet, the Lord still used him for 65 years of arduous journeys throughout the world, guiding him to people like Dr. Luke. So the result of Paul and Silas being forbidden by God to preach in Asia or Bithynia was the addition of Luke, who would be with Paul for the rest of his life. So, why is it that so often God uses a painful event in a person's life to show his will for them. Okay? Looking at the life of Paul, uh, often God's will was announced with a beating or a stoning uh, or simply as Paul himself observed a thorn in his side. Why not, as in this case, doesn't God just speak in a vision um, like Paul had of the Macedonian man asking for help, calling him over to Greece. Why so often does pain or illness have to accompany God's message to us concerning his plan for our life? And I do not mean at all to speak for God, but perhaps it's it's to get our attention. Okay? Okay? We're so often looking, you know, God, uh, God told me to do this, God told me to do that. Well, hold it. Maybe sometimes God needs to get our attention in a very serious way so that we can see His plan for us not to do something and to do something else. Perhaps a negative change in our circumstance does, as they say about an intending execution, it concentrates your mind wonderfully. Perhaps the pain, perhaps these kind of things is what God uses to get our get our attention. Uh, when I had previously uh, been a teaching elder, but forbidden by God to be a, a formal pastor in a pastor-led church, the method God used was not pleasant. But it was clear, <laughs> okay? It was extremely clear. But, you know, that's just one of the two times God forbade me to be a pastor because those of you who are in this church know that, you know, in 2012 I was nominated to be an elder and in Reformed Baptist circles that does mean a pastor. And it was in a struggling pastorless church. And I was soundly rejected. Again. And it came out later that I had been accused of stealing jewelry from someone in the church. You know, I, I feel like a, in my line of work construction, I am regularly in people's homes. I'm unsupervised. Often they're not home, and I have keys to many homes on the mountain, okay? Mind you, the theft was real, and someone went to prison, but it wasn't me. And I've had years to question, really, Lord, burglary, jewel, theft? Wouldn't a simple no have sufficed? And maybe it wouldn't have. Perhaps I wouldn't have taken no for an answer. And, and the ridiculous false jewelry theft charge, like Cary Grant, the cat burglar, and it takes a thief, you know, 
as a sinner as we all are, and this is what I think of when I think of being accused of stealing jewelry. Being a sinner as we all are, there were a lot of sins God could have used to keep me from being a pastor. I'm sure. I have no doubt of that. So, what's the deal with this weird charge? Well, first of all, here's what I've learned from it. God did not want me to be a pastor at that time. And he used a ridiculous charge to keep me from being a pastor. Why didn't he use something real? Perhaps he had plans for me down the line. Perhaps he didn't want to disqualify me in my own eyes and everybody else's eyes for something future down the line. The point is, we don't know why God uses the things he does or why he uses things sometimes that really wound us. But we can't see what God sees and we can't know what God knows and we don't know how his plan is going... Who knows how his plan is going to come to pass? But Paul clearly saw God's yes and no answers in this ministry. And he obeyed the no's and acted on the yeses. Okay? He obeyed the no's. He didn't say, God, you know, my health is good enough, or if that was the cause, because mind you, Scripture doesn't tell us. But whatever the reason was, he didn't say, no, God, I can go and do this. He let the no be a no. And in Bithynia, he let the no be a no. And when he goes to Troas, and he hears this vision of the Macedonian, he says, this is what the Lord was having me do. This is where he was steering me. This is why he said no to these other areas. And remember, Paul will go back to these areas. He will go back to Smyrna and Ephesus. I mean, he goes back to all of these areas. But his obedience and willingness to do what God said made Paul an effective tool in the hands of God and changed the trajectory of the world for all time. Because he could allow God to use whatever circumstance, whether it's illness, whether it's beatings, whether it's stonings, and take them without shirking and follow the hand of God. God's plan for his kingdom in this world was furthered through the work of Paul. And, you know, I had something more to say that I didn't write down. So I'm not going to say it. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we do not know your ways. Your ways are higher than ours. We do not see what you see. We, in our minds, if we were in charge... No things would work together for good for those who know the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Nothing would work out. And yet you assure us that all things, God works all things together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. As we go through our lives 
and the events we will go through as a Christian, big and small, ministry or secular, let us understand that you are constantly saying yes and no, and that we have to listen and recognize your voice when it talks to us. Hear the still small voice that guides us in our everyday lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.